Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy.
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. You are tuned in to KPOO San Francisco 89.5, or you might be listening to us on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. I am your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to continue with uh, our conversation, hearing from uh, Brother Malik and everything that has led up to uh, his uh, long-term um, uh, modern-day enslavement and, um, you know, listening to his childhood and how he grew up and the kinds of things that he was experiencing that uh, helped to politicize him and uh, now be a political prisoner. I hope you are finding fascinating, interesting, inspiring, maddening, um, one of the things that continues to stand out for me personally that I wanted to express to you is the fact that as a young boy, you know, with his friends being run down by the police to be brutalized and told under no cert uh, certain terms that they are absolutely unwelcome and... Um, where they were uh, and, you know, being chased back to the place that they were supposed to be relegated to. And I just think about, I, I'm a mom and I think about those, those mothers, first of all, first, first of all, the young, the young people, right? Uh, young brother Malik, when he was Leroy and his friends, and how traumatizing that must have been and what kinds of mental machinations have to they have to go through to deal with that and how traumatizing that is and then go back to their families and you know how the mamas the papas the aunts the uncles the other friends sisters and brothers how they're all feeling about this being feeling probably completely helpless where are you going to go you're going to go to the police because the police have brutalized you again trauma after trauma after trauma and how this impacts just the daily lives of people and the the implications of what that means for us now so um or, you know, in, as that's moving from that moment into the next. So this is, and these were not isolated incidents. This was the, it, this was and continues to be the role of the police um, and how they are going to uh, basically mastermind. I don't want to call them masters. So um, how they're basically going to be these, uh, this, this evil entity that upholds white false supremacy and is designed to keep people in their place. And in this case, we are talking about black people. And we are still feeling that because it is still continuing. Um, and our children continue to be under attack. So, um, we are going to continue to hear more. Um, it's amazing to me that Brother Malik can continue to find, you know, laughter in his in these memories, and um, almost as if he, you know, kind of is, and he does enjoy the uh, the transformation that he is making. And can we be inspired by that? And can we and and make those transformations for ourselves now when we are looking at this new iteration of slavery, which is legal slavery, but it is an iteration of chattel slavery, um, 
based on this continuing system of white supremacy, colonization, imperialist capitalism. Um, all right, we are also going to hear another poem from Thankful Son, and uh, I believe we are. this will be our last, this will be the final segment of the interview uh, with Veronza Bowers, political prisoner Veronza Bowers in North Carolina that he did in 2002 with um, Ada Levinson. All right, thank you for sticking around. So happy you are here. Please continue uh, to come back. If you want to make any comments, you can email me at endslaverynow9 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, and please continue to uh, invite your friends and family members. All right, here we go. Let me greet you first. I'm Bonnie E. Wick with New, uh, Juan JCK, Salam uh, Alaikum, peace be unto you. All those mean peace be unto you. That was Yoruba, Swahili, Arabic, and English. <laughs> All right, this time around, Brother Malik gifted me with peace unto you in three languages as he was just expressing his appreciation for this work that we are doing. Um, and so um, and then we got into uh, what it was that he wanted to talk about next. And I was suggesting that uh, he get a little bit more nuanced and deeper into kind of the family dynamics that were uh, taking place or, or just really what was happening in his family when he was a young boy as he was growing up and you know kind of the foundations of the transformation so this is where we started okay as a child i came up in a uh, a very confusing dichotomy my father <laughs> his name was was uh, also leroy leroy with any but he was an illiterate southern gangster. He was crazy. <laughs> okay. He married my mother. Uh, I think he was like about 18 or 19, and my mother was just out of high school. And they got married and in Louisiana, and he did something. They would never let me know exactly what he did. But they ended up in California, in, in Oakland, and uh, and my cousin. Um, how can I say? My father never knew who his father was. His mother would tell him who his father was, and he was born in Mississippi, so I never knew who my grandfather was. And I never knew who. I, I never know. I don't know what my last name is. My father took his best friend's last name, a uh, slave named Thompson. That's not mm. my name. That's not my father's name. He just used that because that was his best friend's name. But anyway, he married my mother. That was my mother. Is On that side, I can trace it all the way back to my great, great, great. I don't know how many greats it is. But my grandmother, Mama Emma, was a slave. So I could trace that all the way back almost to the slave ships. But anyway, that's the... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And my mother was a 
religious type woman. And that was uh, weird to me. Coming up, she's taking me to church. And, you know what I mean? Um, she's in the choir. And had me. I was a model in the church as a little boy. And uh, all my sisters were baptized and all that. I wouldn't do it. If I get drowned in the water, none of that. And then my father is a gangster. My father, when he was married to my mother, he had three or four prostitutes. He was selling dope. He was a robber, a gun-toting dude, beating people in the head and all that. So that's what I'm saying. At the house, I'm getting all this, be good, you know, the Lord, and that, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Meantime, my father's taking me all the way down to the, pardon my French, he's taking me to the whole stroll and introducing me to his prostitutes, gangsters, and all this and all that. So yeah. I'm fascinated, exactly. So I'm having a, 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 a dichotomy. I don't know what is right, what's wrong. Whatever my daddy said was the law. That was it. There was no if, ands, and buts about it. So he's raising me like that. He's making me fight, you know, because he already been to jail and he knows that you got to be tough and all that, so make him be tough. And it worked, the tough part. But uh, his philosophy was like it was him against the world. His friends, what I thought were his friends, I found out later on, he didn't have any friends. He, he believed in if you wasn't him or right, then you was a sucker. You was somebody to be taken advantage of and all that kind of stuff. When I was uh, four years old, I was I, I, I was constantly having trouble with this next-door neighbor of ours. His name was, I don't know his name, his real name, but we called him Rabbit. And he had a brother named, uh, uh, I don't know what his name was, but we called him Dooley. And we were living in Watts. So I could physically beat both of them in a fight, you know? But they would double-team me. My brother would not help me. He said they was too small for him. So they would double-team me and all that, and I'd catch one and beat him up, and I'd catch other and beat him up, and they would double-double-double-bang me. So one day, you know, let me remind you that all the time this is going on, it's double life that they had me leave. My mother's taking me to church. Right. And, and, and pray and do this and don't do that. The Lord, this, and you want to go to heaven in your soul and all this. Plus, <laughs> plus, on her side of the family, uh, we got Creoles because my, my cousin's name is Chantilly. It's called Chantel, uh, uh, Betty. You know, on and on and on. But they're, they're Creole. Let them tell it. They're Creole. Anyway, they, they talk French. And, uh, and, I'm, and there's voodoo up in there and all kinds of... They put roots on me and all kinds of stuff when I started acting out. Anyway, when I was four years old, I know that because I hadn't went to school yet. My, uh, I come home one day... You have 60 seconds remaining. Let me give you a reference because this is in the... Late 40s and the early 50s, what we're talking about right now. So that's a time frame, a reference, or whatever. But anyway, uh, I had a fight with 
two brothers that lived next door. And they beat me bloody. So I run in the house, uh, you know, after the fight. I'm dusty and bloody and everything. And my father asked me what happened, and I tell him. He said, what, they been uh, 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 double-teaming teaming you? Okay. So uh, my father sees me, and he tells me, come here. So I go up to him, and he examines me. Okay. The next time, <laughs> let me, again, let me apologize for, for the language that's getting ready to come at you, because I'm going to talk to you like he talked to me. All right, well, of course, some of this language had to be cut out due to FCC rules, but you'll get the point. Next time them little motherfuckers jump on you, you run in here. Come here, let me show you something. Takes me into his room. He opens up the bottom dressing drawer, moves some clothes out the way. It's a box right there. He opens up the box. He has 38 revolver in it. It, it, and it's, it, it breaks down like a shotgun. He shows me how to open it up, break it down. He, he uh, shows me where the bullets are, puts the bullets in it, tells me the next time they jump on me like that, come in here and get this gun and shoot them. You know, this is what he tells me. I'm four years, I'm not even going to school. I'm a little boy. He tells oh me my. Time he did that, shoot them. I say, okay. I ask the age of the other children. They're like, one is four and one is like six or seven. Oh my, wow, this is, this is like, this is almost like child soldier. Yeah, uh, I to, to shoot okay. I said, well, okay, you know, and he said, you see what this is? I'm like, yeah, okay, you know how to load the gun, blah, 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 yeah, I know how, okay. Uh, not even a week goes by, and I get into it with him again. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Both of them jump on me again. I break away from them, run into the house, and do exactly what he told me to do. I go in there and get the gun, I load it up, I run back out, and I point it at them. Ain't nobody scared of that toy, that's a toy. Ah, I shoot. They run into their house. I chase them in there. I shoot the house up. The mama's on the floor screaming, the daddy's up under the couch and all kind of stuff. I'm in there shooting. I'm really trying to shoot him. I don't know how this man, um, I guess he heard the shoot shot. He he comes in the house. Now, I'm, I, now I've ran to the front porch because I'm out of bullets. It only shoots six times, but I run to the front porch. He runs up there, snatches the gun out of my hand, slaps me, and kicked me so hard. He kicked me from the front porch all the way into the street with a kick. He uh, 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 chipped my coccyx bone in my behind. A mother comes out there and threatened to kill him and all. Don't you ever do that to my... I'm out in the street moaning. And my father, I'm going to kill that little crazy nigga, woo, 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 and all that emotion and all that. And they take me to the hospital. When I get home from the hospital with the, uh, you know, chip, uh, coccyx bone and all that, uh, my mother's raising holy hell you don't never do my baby like that I'm gonna kill you in your sleep blah blah this and blah blah that and then my father said that nigga's crazy I don't know how he did that ah. so finally it cools down a little bit and my mother asked me how 
did you get that gun? I said, I went and got it. How did you know where the gun was? He told me. Who told you? Him, my father. He told you to go get that gun and shoot them kids? Yeah. He's a goddamn liar. I ain't told that nigga. I would tell Leroy, yes, you did. I know what happened. You was in there drunk, high off that bush. He smoked weed like it was cigarettes. Right. You was in there high, and you took that boy in there, and you told him that, and he did what you said, and you kicked him for it. And don't you ever put your hands on my baby like the other baby boy at the time. I'll do this and that to you. He's lying. I didn't tell him that. But ain't no way he ain't no way in the world he don't even go in our room. So I know you had to show him. You had to tell him that. He, he don't go in our room. You know what I mean? Like off, off, off limits to him. So you told him that. You drunk and you don't remember and blah, 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 but you did that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> to go on, finish you. Of course, I interrupted by noting that he just was randomly shooting this thirty-eight pistol and shot six times and didn't hit anybody, thankfully, at four years old. Wow. I was my father. My father to me was a god. He, he was, the, he was like he wasn't but five six, but to me he was a giant, and he yeah. was the man in the neighborhood that everybody came to. Uh, every year he had a brand new Cadillac. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's selling dope. He's pimping. He's, you know, he's a good hustler and a hell of a provider. He gave me, you know, I mean, it was he was the man. Everybody in fear of him, and he was the neighborhood tough guy. You know what I'm saying? So, to me, he was all of it. And anything he said, it. You know what I'm saying? And everybody piled down to him. So, to me, he he was God, as far as I was concerned, at that age. I commented here that there was no way at four years old that, uh, Leroy Jr. was going to be able to discern whether his father was you know, drunk or high, especially if he was, you know, functioning users, basically, and whether the decisions that he was making were going to be beneficial to him or not. It's not what happens at four years old. Somebody would tell me they was drunk. I would envision them, like, with the hiccups. And stumbling and bumping into stuff. And I never seen him like that. He was smoking weed and taking pills and all that stuff. And I didn't know drunk. To me, he was, you know, that's how he was all the time. So, you know, I didn't know any difference. And, uh, you know, after that, he started uh, uh, to call that doving on me. He'd hug, come on, boy, let's go over here. He'd go a dollar. Go buy you and your sister some candy. Ah, la, 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 la. He's extra nice to me after he kicked me like that because for a while I damn near couldn't even walk. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, one day, this is another uh, thing that stands out in my mind. And why well, I went to the page I went to, he, uh, he brought me a, a dog, a puppy. It's a story with that. The dog's name, I named the dog Bozo because he had, I don't, probably don't remember Bozo the Clown, but he was a famous clown 
back in the day on TV and all that. Brother Malik was surprised to know that I actually did know about Bozo the Clown because uh, he doesn't quite know how old I am, I think. He was part husky and part south, and he didn't like nobody. Me, when my father got him, he's coming home one night, and the little dog attacked him and biting him on his ankle and stuff. He bent down, picked the dog up, and threw it out the street and continued walking home. A dog came back and started biting him again, and this time he picked it up and threw it somewhere else. It came back and was on him again. This time he hit it in the head with his pistol. He pistol whooped the dog and threw it in somebody's yard. Oh he walked and the dog came back and was at him again. He picked him up and tied his uh, tied his mouth up with a handkerchief and brought him home and gave him to me. Hey, boy, here go a dog for you. You want a dog here? <coughs> That's your dog. He gave me the dog. Oh, dog your father is something else. Y'all, he's a mess. Being the dog hooked up. You know, he, he didn't bite me. He didn't bark. I don't know what it was or how, but that was... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And that dog became, that was my best friend and really my only friend. And we used to go and everywhere together and do everything. And the dog, we started to, he wouldn't let nobody even holler at me. Dog, oh. my daddy used to feed him gunpowder and hot pepper and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, dog was crazy. Ha, no surprise there, considering how the dog came to Brother Malik, or little Leroy. Exactly. <laughs> he was already a rambunctious little animal, but my, my father made him more so. He liked, he used to beat him and take stuff, you know, and put it in his face and make him attack him and all that. And when he got to size, my father would let him go fight other dogs and all that stuff. That dog, man, my mother couldn't even raise her voice to me. And she, you better get him out of here, I'll kill him. You know, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, when I started going to school, the dog, I remember the first day I tried to go to school, he followed me to school, and they told me he couldn't come in, and I, 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 and they turned him around. If he couldn't go, I didn't want to go. I didn't even want to be in school. So I would go to school, dog would be out in front of the school waiting for me. Anybody come up to him, he'd bite him or growl at him or whatever. And they made a big fuss about that quarantine and all that stuff. But uh, the effect it had a very, very traumatic. That was my dog. I loved him more than I loved anybody. And the dog, oh man, it was just a hell of a thing. What happened as a result of that I wouldn't do nothing. I would sit in my classroom. My apologies. I interrupted uh, Brother Malik because I thought that I had missed something that uh, that had happened to the dog. Well, you know, the police would chase him off and all that. He'd come. So they would try to run him off, and he would. He'd run down the block, and then when they leave, he'd come back. Mm-hmm. Watching the police run off his best friend compounded the issue. And I wouldn't read. I wouldn't right? I wouldn't even answer roll call. I'd just sit there and look out the window. And they'd say, Mr. Thompson, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And I wouldn't pay no attention to them. Because with my actions, they put me down as retarded. I had to be retarded for something, you know, but I wasn't. 
what they thought I was. So they had me in special class. My father, back to back to Pops, takes me back in his room again. I'm scared to go in there because of the previous encounter. But he takes me to his room. He said, look, see this box right here? I said, yeah. He said, let, let me show you where I put it in. He had a little stash spot in the closet. And he showed me how to get it, take the rug back, and pull up the floorboards, and reach under the thing, and get that box. And in that box was all kind of narcotics and money. Right. And his instructions was, if the police ever get me, first of all, do you have a secret hiding spot? Yeah. Do anybody know where your hiding spot is? No. Okay. If the police ever come and get me, you come in here and you get that box and climb out the window and put it in your spot, put it in your hiding spot. And then I'll tell you what to do after that. Give it to your mama or just leave it alone. I'm like, okay. So I guess he had a case pending or whatever because shortly after that, police show up at my house. They arrest my father. They take him off in chains and all. You have 60 seconds remaining. And that is where we had to leave it. Uh, Brother Malik was diagnosed as in those days, so we're talking in the 40s and the 50s, as retarded. Now we, of course, face special needs, um, which he wasn't, he was not even a special needs. He was just a child who wanted to be with his best friend. And um, he is misdiagnosed. Uh, you know, just trauma after trauma, and he's not even five years old. So we are going to continue with this story. Um, I hope you are, I hope you're moved by listening to this. Um, and I hope there's a place in your heart to maybe understand. You probably are not liking Brother Malik's father very much, but he too was a young black man, didn't know his father, um, was run down by the police, brutalized by the police, because that was the that is the state of black now and brown and indigenous and poor people. But at that time, specifically, I mean, we are talking about a black man who was a young boy who was continually traumatized over and over and over again. And I'm not making any excuses for his behavior, but we have to be able to show some understanding and some empathy about how this system has designed, has been designed to keep our people at their lowest state and to remember how, again, acknowledge, remember and acknowledge and highlight how incredible it is for, um, Men like Brother Malik, Balagoon, Jokashima Jensai, all of these political prisoners, I can keep just on and on. What it means to be, to come through this, be unbroken and want to share this story so that it, we don't continue the cycle. Um, and we have to look to each other to do it because the system is designed to oppose our every move. 
All right. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And I'm your host, Nube Brown. We are continuing our, to hear the story, uh, kind of the life story upbringing of uh, Brother Malik and, uh, and his transformation from Leroy Thompson to, uh, again, to Brother Malik. And uh, we will we had to end it there, and we will continue uh, next week. We are going to take a quick musical break now. Uh, the song Live Today by Derek Hodge and Common. Come back with a, a piece of poetry from Thankful Son. Transitions. Transitions of a man's mission. Turn the moment into something he owns. Not just for him, but for them to understand. This is peace of a man. Woman beside providing balance. So that we can do our best with God's talents.
Raising my hands is now laced with scars. The truth from Mars lead these bars. My quest for something in thought too large. Curves bending, hairs on end, stimulated by feelings made by wind. Placed in water by fiery friends. What in nature has not a twin? Following, leading, trailing, perfection. Going through life in many different directions. Our reasons appear different, but it's only a reflection of the love we all want ultimate protection the following all right much gratitude for thankful son and his beautiful piece of poetry we are now going to hear the last uh, portion of the interview that ada levinson of youth speaks out from kzyx up in mendocino back in 2002 with political prisoner veranza bowers a lot of sacrifice and a lot of willingness for people to understand that unless we cooperate as a human species, then we're going to perish. Is there some advice you would like to tell youth in America today? Yeah, you know, and it's been said, and it's not a rhetorical saying either, but the youth are like the sunshine at 8 or, eight or 9 o'clock in the morning, bright, full of energy and bigger. And they have, they will, they will visit places where those of my generations and other generations can't even dream of. You know, you have, yourself included, you know, you have, you have places to go that, that uh, can only be dreamed of. And so the youth have a great responsibility. They have a, they have a great responsibility that's on their shoulders, like all generations that come after the generation that's currently struggling and to make a better world. So the youth, you know, has to uh, take a sober look at that. Not not in the sense of, of foregoing all the joys of life that come with youth, but also recognizing that uh, youth, just like old age, is a passing thing. And, it, and it's, there, it's here now, and it'll be gone. So if we listen to our past, 
time we see that the youth have been criminalized as a generation. You know, they're, they're still are our hopes because they're going to be the future leaders of tomorrow. And so that responsibility that they have that's been squirted laid on their shoulder, it's, it, you know, it'll be a heavy burden. But I have full confidence in our youth, you know, the hip-hop generation. And uh, every generation has its ways, you know. And the, and the youth of the day are... plans when you finally get out in the year 2004? Prison. At, at one time, I don't think they understood, but, but they do now. And 
Veronza Bowers Jr., a former Black Panther who has been incarcerated for 32 years and claims he is innocent. He was speaking from the Federal Penitentiary in Coleman, Florida on September 11th of 2002. All right, uh, just to highlight the math there, Veronza Bowers had been in um, modern day enslaved for 32 years when, it w- when this interview was done in 2002. So 21 years later, Veronza Bowers Jr. is still being imprisoned, held captive. He is now in North Carolina. And this is happening to, and has happened, to many of our political prisoners. We must get them home. We must continue to highlight uh, this this gross treatment of our people. And this is why uh, we find it very important that you come out to the Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our Elders webinar that's going to be taking place August 4th through 6th in three cities, Oakland, Chicago, and New York, because we will be talking about the the legal slavery of our people, decolonization, why it's necessary, why we have the right to air our grievances in the international courts, the rights that we have, the education that we need to give to each other, the ways that we need to work together to um, liberate ourselves. And with that said, I am going to be reading at least the introduction to the book by Jaleel Muntakim, who spent 49, who was captured for 49 years as a political prisoner. Um, and he wrote the book, We Are Our Own Liberators, while he was inside. Um, and so uh, it is a book that we, um, as um, people who are working with our imprisoned, our in modern-day enslaved brothers and sisters inside as we do the workout. Here is one of the books that we recommend reading. 
Ah, okay. So yes, Veronza Bowers is still imprisoned, and I am going to give you once again the way to write him now that he is at Butner, North Carolina, the FCI um, federal uh, institution there. Veronza Bowers Jr. His number is 35316-136. Next line, FCI-2. That's Federal Correctional Institute. That's what the FCI stands for. P.O. Box 1500 Butner, B-U-T-N-E-R, North Carolina, 27509. And you can continue to get updated information about Veranza and his... Um, situation at uh, www.veranza.org. All right, actually, I am going to read kind of a poetic essay. It's a poem uh, by Jaleel Muntakim, which comes right after the introduction of in the book, We Are Our Own Liberators. The Obama Nation. Hmm. Will the abomination become an abomination if it fails to stop the bombing of nations? From Gaza to Afghanistan, the American people must take a stand and tell Obama to forge a better plan to free the land of Zionists and the Taliban. To stand up against corporate bailouts while prisons are left out for change, like a business without clout, as 2.3 million prisoners remain in chains. Change became a mantra defined on a political precipice forged in steep words unprecedented by one who won the right to be the 44th president. Supported by beliefs sold in edifices of worship, bonding the ideals shuddered in the hearts of the dispossessed whose hope for tomorrow has not regressed. Yet, time sours faith in hungry bellies as the unsheltered endure the storms of lies alibis, and corrupt government undisguised, as the media realized, exposing the truth could result in a covenant Pulitzer Prize. A future is born with the change of power on this day, and in this hour, with an oath of office, the abomination must stand in allegiance against torture, Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo Bay, rendition and detention, just to mention how the U.S. derelictions become the world's affliction. Evolving from eight years of disconnection, disaffection, humiliation, dissatisfaction with the Bush administration, corporate affiliations that led to U.S. financial ruination. The Democrats believe they can, since Obama told them, yes, we can. Americans hope this is not a sham, as participatory democracy is more than a four-year election, since each day the Americans should strive for perfection, healing the planet as they heal themselves of racism, sexism, and capitalist exploitation to improve America's place in the world of nations. No drama in the Obama nation is the expectation, void of hesitation, Folks' anticipation, the 44th will elevate the level of peace dividends given in Clintonette's deliberation, face-to-face -face with world's representatives like ebony and ivory, side-by-side, -side, championing the U.S. hegemony in perfect harmony. As Gates secures the gates of the Pentagon to sustain an imperialist presence from Iraq to the China Sea, who is to believe change can be conceived with National Security Agency secrets up their sleeves? 
the continued embargo of Cuba and Haiti, a scandalous exercise of power as Latin America excises North America in its revolutionary shining hour. Iran seeks nuclear advancement as the CIA creeps to hinder its expansion, an inexplicable situation given the arms race has moved as far as outer space, continuing to militarily arm Israel and Taiwan. While North Korea produces nuclear energy, the U.S. attempts to prohibit proliferation, not of its control, using food as a weapon toward an obvious starving nation, not keeping with its humanitarian goals. Africa stumbles into the 21st century with corporate proxy wars, none keeping score, as economic devastation brings multiple horrors, including the killing of babies and raping of girls, arming of children, leaving the land trampled with scars. Africans hope the Obama nation will plant seeds of democracy, negating the hypocrisy of years of neglect without regret, and yet, AFRICOM is a serious misstep. With Asians in Malaysia, the largest concentration of Islamic moderation confounds U.S. inclination to confront jihadists of al-Qaeda's persuasion in its population. On the home front, Martin L. King Jr. proclaimed, we as a people will get to the promised land, while Malcolm X said it will be either the ballot or the bullet. So could it be hard to understand the 44th like a Manchurian candidate manipulating the political landscape, permitting the Patriot Act to prohibit progressive or revolutionary tact, believing true liberation after today has become a point in fact? The virtue of the ballot, the revolution has been hijacked, the black bourgeoisie has been notified America is now sanctified and the promised land gentrified as the abomination is satisfied. But in prison, COINTELPRO victims remain classified, yet to be rectified with truth and reconciliation, no way to start anew in the abomination. So with an historic inauguration by pomp and circumstances, though crying eyes, a new era to inspire a generation of possibilities beyond rhetoric. Anxious for the audacity of hope to spring eternal in humanities, fratricidal brotherhood with service to the nation, negating race or class as societies under class test pomp and circumstances with stark cold reality of growing unemployment lines with the economic situation continuing to decline. My warning to all while the band plays hail to the chief with a military seven-gun salute to not become hoodwinked or bamboozled nor forego the political determination to end the embargo of Haiti and Cuba to free Puerto Rico and Palestine. For this is not the time to recline in building struggle to keep U.S. hands off Asada because we got to free all U.S. political prisoners in the spirit of knowing we are our own liberators. listening to We Exists Outside of Time. This is a selection from Finding Peace in the Chaos, a collaboration of Veronza Bowers Jr. and Revlove. This is their latest collaboration. Again, the album is Finding Peace in the Chaos. And while this is playing, I am going to read part one of a book that has just come out by Bomani Shakur, The Manifesto of American Psychotherapy. 
The basis of psychotherapy is maintaining informative, fruitful, and profound conversation with the end goal of assisting one to obtain a method or methods to solve or cope with particular issues, problems, and ailments that stem from our very own mind. A psychotherapist must be able to first tap into his or her own psyche, mind, and come to understand the mental mechanics of it by realizing various functions of the triune mind, including both the conscious and unconscious minds. Psychotherapy throughout the years in the social scientist circles, as well as to laymen, has been known as talk therapy. Talking is a way to express ideas, feelings, emotions, views, and thoughts. Psychotherapists are charged with helping individuals see that the primary source of one's reality rests in the conditions of the mind. One's mental state determines the design of one's mentality, thus allowing him or her to realize his or her own level of intellect. This can greatly assist him or her in discovering solutions to personal problems. Psychotherapy is best performed on a clinical level, which is permitted to the degree one is receptive to the psychotherapist's guidance. Many of our problems in America, with three Ks, is rooted in the mental conditioning and programming that we are subjected to in Af that we were subjected to in African slavery. That conditioning was born in the sub-Saharan and Atlanta slave trades and Atlantic slave trades and continue to be integral in the American legal and academic systems today. A psychotherapist cannot even begin to relate to the African people or any descendants of Africa in America. There must be a relationship established between African psychology and our own minds. We have been programmed to rely on Freud, Jung, Adler, Piaget, Skinner, and others who are European. A European can never understand any mental issues of the African or descendants of Africa simply because they have not endured any of the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or economical abuse associated with the pigment of our skin. Racism is at the root and serves as the main tool of European psychology as a science. As such, we cannot even begin to identify with its systems. Psychotherapy is the science of controlling and redirecting one's emotionality by balancing it with one's level of intelligence. Creativity is encouraged to be expressed from intellect, which will prove conducive in the therapeutic process. The African identity is very important in regards to African psychotherapy. Once we have a strong sense of self, we can overcome all ailments and issues. African identity allows us to properly orient ourselves in all areas of existence, including social, political, cultural, economical, educational, and military realms to embrace and write our own story. With adequate knowledge of all these areas, we can begin to learn various possible solutions to our particular predicaments via remedying all mental sicknesses. All right, and you can get this book by going to Bomani Shakur's Facebook page, just put in Bomani Uhuru Shakur. And if you start with Bomani Uhuru, you will find it there. And you can uh, link to him directly and get the book. All right. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.